So take a look at the screen or take a look at your bulletin, either one. What do you see? Isn't that interesting? How many of you said God is nowhere? How many of you said God is now here? Hmm. And a whole lot of people didn't raise their hands, so maybe I need to go over the message I did two weeks ago, which is pay attention, participate. Right, kids? You're going to be down here today, so I want you to pay attention and participate. We left the kids down long enough for me to say that last week. And then produce. You need to bear fruit. Something needs to be happening in your life. You need to move forward. You need to grow. Amen? Amen. All right, so we're going to try to help you to do that. Now, I have been tempted to go back into this series for well over a year now. Um, I have an entire series that is intended to answer the question, why all this bad stuff is happening to us if God is so good, right? So kids, if you're a kid, say, I'm a kid. I I don't hear you. I know there's a bunch of kids in here because there's a a bounce house slip and slide out there. If you're a kid, say, I'm a kid. I'm a kid. Good. When I was a kid, my mom taught me a prayer. And if you've been coming here, you've heard me try to teach you this prayer before. Now, I typically don't like us to just say memorize prayers. But when you're a kid, it's not a bad idea to memorize some basic little prayers that you can say. So before you eat, we were taught to fold our hands. Show me how you fold your hands. Let me see how you do that. Right? Good. And bow our head. And then we would say this. I want you to say it after me. Say, God is great. God is is good. good. Now we thank him him. for our food. food. Amen. Amen. Wow. Super simple prayer. But hey, there's some profound truth there. God is. Means he exists. He's really there. God is great. He created the world. He created you. He came down in the form of Jesus and chose to limit himself and become one of us and then take all of our sin on himself and die on the cross on our place and then rise from the dead. God is great. Amen. And God is good. Or he would have just left us in our sin. He's good and he's loving and he's kind. And even the creation of the world that we're living in is a testament to that fact. But we have to ask ourselves the question honestly. If God is great, and he is, and if God is good, and he is, then why all this bad stuff? Why all this evil in the world? Now, that's not as easy a question to answer as some of us might be led to believe. The short answer is, and what I often tell people is, this ain't heaven. Say it. But heaven's on the way. It's important to understand that this isn't the final place. This isn't the final world. We're on the way. We're moving towards something that is better, something that is greater. But there's all sorts of bumps and bruises and difficulties along the way. So I'm going to do this series, and I'm actually writing a book that is... uh, uh, based on this, and that's what I've just called it, God is great, God is good, then why all this bad? And uh, I have uh, 
written probably about a third of it now. And if I thought anybody was going to read it, I'd probably write it uh, more avidly, right? Uh, but uh, that's why I've written all the plays that I've written, because I knew we were going to actually perform them. If I just don't write stuff if I don't think that anybody's going to read it or nobody's going to perform it, except sometimes I write poems because then it just makes me feel better. Uh, William Wordsworth, a famous poet, said, poetry is the spontaneous overflow of powerful emotion. And I would agree because oftentimes when I'm upset, uh, oftentimes when there's something bothering me, I write kind of a little poem that helps me to get it out. So yeah, there's all sorts of ways that you can do that. But if you have a bulletin, you can follow along and uh, you can fill in because we're gonna get a little bit smart here. We're gonna get a little bit intellectual. And so the parents would say, yeah, but we've got the kids down here. I want your kids to be smart, amen? I've never found the need to be dumb around kids. You need to help them to step up to you. Now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't alter your approach or your vocabulary so they can understand you. But I've always used terminology and I've always addressed concepts that are above people, not to show that I'm above anybody, but so that we will produce, we will move up. We will move on. Those of you that have been coming to this church for a while ought to be able to teach some of these things that I'm going to relate to you today. In fact, uh, many of the things that I'm going to say today, uh, I said not too long ago, and those of you that are young people, uh, we did a couple of Wednesday nights on this. So uh, last week, Pastor Craig was up here and uh, preached a masterful message uh, about paradise and uh, the fact that those of us that are in Christ can count on the reality of being in the presence of God at the moment we breathe our last. Is that not good news? But that takes faith, doesn't it? It really does. It takes faith to believe that. And when we're talking to people, and sometimes when we're just thinking about it ourselves, um, we have to clear out the path so that we can have faith. And that's what intellectual arguments are about. Now, you hear argument and perhaps that, uh, that it has a bad connotation to you because uh, as one person on my timeline uh, on Facebook said, everybody seems to be angry at each other today. Uh, you know, everybody's arguing. But when I am saying argue, I'm not talking about disputing. I'm not talking about uh, spitting out hatred toward one another, calling each other names. I'm talking about rational, intellectual debate and discussion that can help you think through things, right? Now, it's not my intention to enter into a debate today, or uh, Pastor Craig and I could have gotten up here and done that. But what I want to do is I want to um, read to you. I know you're, the kids are like, read to us? Is it a story we're going to like? All right. <laughs> This is, this is the way that I'm going to be able to do this in the most concise way, and I'll be able to test whether you think my book is good or not, all right? So two purposes there. Sometimes concise is a little harder because you have to pay attention. Kids, are you paying attention? You're going to have to really, really, as we used to say when I was a kid, put on your thinking caps. I already prepared Ransom for this. When he's in the front row, he's always paying really good attention, all right? So if you're following along in your bulletin, this is not in the chapter, but uh, you can divide that word, number one, separate the words. God is now here or God is nowhere based on how you saw them, right? Now, if you will pay attention and listen to what I'm saying in this chapter, you will find places where you can fill this in uh, in your bulletin, all right? 
Let's begin with a little thought experiment. When I stop talking in just a moment, I want you to close your eyes and blank your mind and think of absolutely nothing. Oh, that's peaceful. All right, now let's think of something important. First of all, let me ask you, how did it go? Did you really think of nothing? If you thought of nothing, what was your nothing like? Like darkness, static, silence, white noise. Each of those experiences is actually something. If you're thinking with me, say I'm thinking. In fact, I would argue that it is actually impossible to think of nothing. Sure, you can do what we just did right now. You can try to blank your mind and refuse to allow images or words to be there, but something is still there. You, the perceiver. Now, this is not in my chapter. Maybe I'll add it to there. Rene Descartes, a famous philosopher, said, cogito ergo sum. Say those words. You say, what, 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 what? That's Latin. And it means, I think, therefore I am. And what Rene Descartes found, super smart guy, mathematician, philosopher, all these sorts of things, what Rene Descartes found was he could doubt just about anything. He could doubt that the world around him was actually there because he knew that he'd had dreams before that seemed very, very real, but then he woke up. Um, Rene Descartes and other philosophers after him said, you could even doubt that the sun is going to come up tomorrow. We can doubt just about anything, and you see people doing that today. But what Rene Descartes found was the only thing that you really cannot rationally, reasonably, logically doubt is that you exist while you're thinking. So let's say that Latin phrase again, cogito ergo sum. It means I think, therefore I am. Now what he meant was not I am making myself, I'm creating myself by thinking. He was saying, no, as long as I am thinking, I know there's at least one reality, and that is that I exist, okay? So, as I said here, uh, returning to the chapter, uh, there is something that is still there even while you're trying to think of nothing, and that something is you, the perceiver of the supposed nothing. If you think about it, if you're thinking, say, I'm thinking, if you think about it, even the concept nothing is something. Oh, yet I asked you to think of nothing, nothing at all. Oh, the human mind has a difficult time laying hold of that. It has as much a difficult time grasping nothing as it does trying to think of infinity, right? So let's establish this. Something has always existed. Why don't you say that? Right? So that's number three in your outline. Nothing means non-existence. And here's number two in your outline. Nothing cannot produce something. Say that. Non-existence cannot produce existence of any kind. Some thinkers have stated it like this. From nothing, nothing comes. Say that. Therefore, something has always existed. 
Some ancient Greek philosophers believed matter to be eternal, as in stuff, right? For much of recorded history, it was widely accepted that the universe has always existed. However, beginning in the early 20th century, theory and mounting evidence contradicted this belief. At the time of this writing and me speaking to you currently, um, the scientific consensus holds that our universe began to exist around 14 billion years ago. In fact, precisely 13.73 billion the last time I looked with an event that is called the Big Bang. Now, Christians have often uh, wanted to distance themselves from the Big Bang, but I want to show you that that's not something to be afraid of because the Big Bang is scientific evidence that the universe did begin to exist. It has not always existed. So the universe had a beginning. Everything that has a beginning has a cause for its existence. You heard Pastor Craig say this last week. This is, uh, it's called a syllogism. It's a way of making an argument, once again, a logical argument. And William Lane Craig, the philosopher and debater, has uh, said it this way. He calls this the Kalam cosmological argument. And that's because it comes from, uh, it's actually, the, the origin is uh, from among the Arabs in Islam and from a, a fellow that first named it. But the Kalam cosmological argument can be stated, everything that begins to exist has a cause. Say that. The universe began to exist. I bet you can do the conclusion. Therefore, the universe has a cause for its existence. So it's very simple. The universe has not always existed. The universe has a cause for its existence. Now, we should ask ourselves, what is the cause? The Big Bang is an event, not a cause. It's describing something that happened, but we don't know what caused it to happen. In fact, once you reach the point of the Big Bang, everything collapses in on itself and none of the laws of physics work anymore. We don't even know if causation works the way we think it works anymore. Everything is up for grabs at that point in time. So there are both scientists and theologians who hold that the universe came from nothing. So scientists would say, well, the universe came from nothing. They still can't describe what caused it. But when a scientist says the universe came from nothing, she or he means something different than when a philosopher says uh, the term or uses the term nothing. For the, scientist, for the scientist, nothing is actually something. I know that's hard to grasp, right? It has been called, quote, this is great. You'll love this. If you're listening, say I'm listening. The scientist nothing has been called, quote, spontaneous fluctuation of the energy contained in the subatomic vacuum. Now that's something. The theologian who affirms that God created the universe ex nihilo, say that word, that's Latin for from nothing, is not saying it came into existence from nothing on its own, but that it was created from the infinite resources of an omnipotent God. Infinite, meaning unending. Omnipotent, meaning somebody? All-powerful. All is God all-powerful? Yes. We believe so. If he created the universe, then that is certainly so. The speculation of cosmologists, all right, what is a cosmologist? That's a, a person who theorizes about the origin of the cosmos or the universe. The speculation of cosmologists as to what existed prior to our universe cannot be grounded in the same hard science which has continued to validate the Big Bang. 
Science is inherently, intrinsically, oh, you like it? Intrinsic, intrinsically. Uh, naturalistic, because the scientific method only works when applied to the study of the natural world. There must be matter and energy to measure. That's science. That doesn't mean there's anything, be that there's nothing beyond that, right? And causation and the consistency of nature and the laws of nature, all of those things have to be established or objective scientific inquiry is rendered powerless. Prior to the Big Bang, as I mentioned uh, just a moment ago, there was no space or time that anyone can measure or verify. That's crazy, isn't it? Prior to the Big Bang, no space, no time. That's not theology, that's science. Hmm. So that makes it difficult to use the scientific method to find out what went on before the Big Bang, doesn't it? So cosmologists rely on speculation about reality without any hard evidence. Their theories are dependent upon their own philosophies and beliefs concerning nature and what might exist beyond the material universe. How many of you have heard of the multiverse? If you've watched popular movies, popular culture, broadcast programs and literature, you've heard of it. This is a theoretical notion which does not have the same hard evidence as the Big Bang. The multiverse is the speculation of naturalists. What is a naturalist? That is someone who rejects the supernatural. All there is is what we can see and measure. And these naturalists wish to revive or reinforce the belief that the cosmos, the universe, in some form is eternal. Carl Sagan famously stated that at the, at the beginning of his television show Cosmos, which I'm sure you can find somewhere on rerun, he said, the cosmos is all that was, all that is, and all that ever will be. Well, the, if the universe has always existed in some form, then we aren't forced to grapple with where it came from, even if we might still ask why it exists. It has been observed that belief in the multiverse only moves the question of origin back a ways. So you could ask, where did the universe come from? What's the difference between asking, well, where did the multiverse come from? What caused these myriad universes? If a cosmologist is a materialist or a naturalist, that's somebody who just believes that the stuff is all that is, right? That natural law is all that exists. If uh, this cosmologist is a materialist or a naturalist, then she looks for answers that conform to her expectations that there can be, that there can be nothing supernatural, or perhaps we could say supranatural, that means above nature. But that's a limiting bias, especially when studying phenomena that are by definition beyond the natural order and outside our material universe. In an interview with NPR philosopher, in an interview with NPR, philosopher Alan Plantinga, who authored a book about science and religion titled Where the Conflict Really Lies, said, quote, science is absolutely wonderful, but it is a limited endeavor. It doesn't cover the whole of the knowledge enterprise, you might say. One must employ methods and tools that fit the field of inquiry. When seeking answers beyond the natural order, it would seem wise to enlist the ancient disciplines of philosophy and theology. So let's step over from science into philosophy and theology. Something has always existed. If not, the universe in some form, and we demonstrated that the universe did not always exist, then what? What has always existed? Something must have always existed. Well, throughout recorded history, most human beings have believed that the world was created by a divine being or beings. The great philosopher Aristotle spoke of a, quote, uncaused cause. Say that. Uncaused cause. 
this uncaused cause must have existed prior to the universe and be itself, well, of course, without a cause. Could such a causal force or entity be God? Perhaps we should pause and ask what is meant or to whom we think we refer when using the term God. And you say, well, it's the God of the Bible, right? But we're not there yet. Have I quoted the Bible yet? No. All I'm using is reason right now. Okay? So what do we mean when we, when we use the, the, the word God and when we, we employ that idea, right? Without getting into a great theological or philosophical debate, I will simply agree with St. Anselm, the medieval scholar who formulated the ontological argument. Say that. Say ontological, ontological. argument. Ontology is the philosophical study of being. You don't even have to remember that, but this, is, this was his argument for God's existence. Anselm famously stated that what we mean by God is, quote, a being that which nothing greater can be thought. Anselm reasoned that something which does not exist cannot fit the definition because what exists is self-evidently greater than a mere idea. Therefore, if God really is a being that which no greater can be conceived, he must possess the quality of existence. Well, this may or may not be a persuasive argument. In fact, people have argued for and against it ever since Anselm came up with it. But I think we can agree with Anselm's basic definition of God, which I will clarify further here. God is a being above which nothing greater may be conceived. So I want you to say that after me. Say, God is the being. Above which, nothing greater may be conceived. So we can therefore call God the supreme being. What can we call him? So as the cause of the universe, God would have to be powerful, but also intelligent. As an uncaused cause, it stands to reason that God could be personal. In fact, Personal beings are the ones who possess a will to freely choose apart from prior causes. Did anybody force you to come to church today? Some of the kids may be like, yeah, I want to stay home and play video games and eat candy bars. But I would be willing to bet that the majority of the adults sitting here today and probably the majority of the kids, you chose to be here. You employed your own will. Those of you watching, either now or you tune in sometime later, uh, you've determined that this is what you want to do. Somebody didn't force you to do it. You did it of your own free will. Therefore, you can do something without cause. You simply choose to do it. So it stands to reason that this all-powerful, incomprehensibly intelligent being that we call God, remember, uh, the being that is above anything else that we can imagine or think, that that being could also be personal. So God is personal, powerful, and intelligent. Say that. Another medieval scholar, and now you're going to get back into your outline and you should see where this fits in. Another medieval scholar, St. Thomas of Aquinas, called God, quote, the necessary being. Meaning, God is not dependent upon anything else. God is self-existent. Nothing caused him to exist. Remember what I said earlier? Something has always existed, right? The universe is contingent. It's not necessary. It's not self-existent. 
St. Thomas also taught that God is, quote, the ground of all being, unquote. So there's two Thomas of Aquinas quotes there for you to fill in, and there's both of them. In other words, God is the basis for all existence. He is the essence of existence, the cause of existence. God is the necessary being upon whom all contingent beings rely for their existence. So perhaps you've heard the question, or perhaps you've even asked it yourself, where did God come from? Or similarly, who created God? But these questions equate God with the material universe and thereby misunderstand the very idea God. A self-existent being is uncreated and by definition has no cause. Something has to fit that description, folks, because nothing cannot produce something. Non-existence cannot cause existence. Something has always existed. The material universe by nature cannot fit this description, but God, by definition, can. Now let's get to the Bible. Like I'm in church, feel like I'm in classroom. It's okay, we need to learn to think, don't we? The Bible begins with the following words. I bet you know it. What's Genesis 1-1? In the beginning, God created the In the beginning, God, he was already there. And then he created the heavens and the earth, oh, the universe. The existence of a powerful, intelligent, personal creator for the universe is assumed. In the Bible's book of Exodus, God speaks to Moses on Mount Sinai and reveals for the first time in history his personal name. Well, what is it? Well, let's look. Exodus 13, 13, and 14, if you want to follow along in your own copy of the scripture, now we're in the Bible. Moses said to God, if I go to the Israelites and tell them the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I say to them? God said to Moses, I am that I am. It can also be translated, I will be what I will be. And he said, that is God said, you must say this to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. The God of, a Bible, God of the Bible has a personal name that refers both to self-existence and eternal existence. God simply is. Say that. God simply is. And this from Revelation. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That's the I am. That's the God of the Bible who perfectly fits the logic and the reason that would require something to exist that could produce or cause the universe. Something has always existed, and that something is a someone who created the universe ex nihilo. Say that again. Which means from nothing, but not absolute nothing. God existed and has always existed and created the universe out of his own supernatural resources. God is. If there were no God, there would be nothing. No you, no me, no book that I'm writing, no universe. Absolutely nothing. There are good reasons and evidence for such a belief, but it is also what philosopher Alvin Plantinga calls properly basic or self-evident. Belief in God is instinctive and intuitive for most people. Such a belief is the first step to knowledge and wisdom. Back to the Bible, now to the book of Proverbs. Do you have any kids that are in my karate club? Yeah? 
Say Proverbs 1 7 loud for everyone. And we say this at every karate class. The first two uh, passages, three verses, two passages. But the very first verse we teach our karate kids is Proverbs 1 7. Say, The fear of the Lord, fear is, the Lord. is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise, Fools despise. Wisdom, and discipline. wisdom and discipline. And there's another verse that is a companion to this, is Proverbs 9 10. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So belief in God's existence is not just blind faith. It is reasonable and necessary to hold that the universe has been created by an omnipotent personal intelligence. Now, I've taken you to the edge of reason, but it still requires faith. You still have to believe. And we haven't gotten really anywhere near the God who is revealed in Jesus Christ, but we're approaching that. The Gospel of John says this in its prologue. It says, no one has seen God at any time. New American Standard translates, but the only begotten God, the one and only, he is in the bosom of the Father, or who is in the bosom of the Father, he has revealed him. No one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has revealed him. So. The only way that we're going to get to know God, other than as this remote figure that is the cause of the universe, is to get to know Jesus, God in the flesh. And so I would move from reason now to faith and offer you the opportunity to put your faith in Jesus as the Son of God. Back to the prologue of John chapter 1. Uh, it says of Jesus, in the beginning was the Word. Jesus is that Word, that message from God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not understood it. That's Jesus. He is the message. He is the Word of God. He is the one that our church is founded on. He is the one who we preach and who we offer you to put your faith in. So yes, God is powerful, intelligent, personal. But we would say the Bible offers us this opportunity to get to know Him as a person by opening up your heart and your mind and allowing Christ to send a part of God, His Spirit, to live inside of you. So will you bow your head and close your eyes? Now, I don't know how persuasive my little chapter here was, but what I hope is that the Spirit of God has come down this morning and convinced you and convicted you that God exists. And if God exists, then we are beholden, we are, it is necessary for us to acknowledge that. In fact, that's the, the second uh, verse that we teach our kids in karate. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and then he will direct your paths, he will direct your life. If you want God to direct your life, you need to acknowledge him. You have to keep him in mind. So I would invite you to open your heart and invite Christ to come inside. 
Here's a little prayer for you to pray. I offered a prayer for the children to pray earlier that I memorized as a child. This one I haven't memorized. I pray it similarly, but it's not always exactly the same. But I'm going to invite you to pray it along with me. You can just pray it in your mind or you can pray it under your breath. But I want you to really say these words if they are what you believe. We're going to address the Son of God, Jesus, and we're going to pray to Him and ask Him to come into our lives. Say, Dear Jesus, You are the Son of God. I believe in You. I believe You died on the cross. I believe You rose from the dead. I open my heart. I invite You to come in. Give me personal knowledge of Almighty God. My life is yours. You are Lord. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, God heard that prayer. And even if you have just the tiniest little fragment of faith, God will respond to that faith. And He has already sent a part of Himself to live in you. Now, you follow Him. We would love to know uh, how we can help you, how we can pray for you. Uh, if you prayed that prayer uh, and uh, you interact with us at all via mobile device, those of you that are watching online, go to our website, lifewellchurch.com. You can do that right here in the room as well, lifewellchurch.com. Use whatever your, your browser is on your phone or your mobile device. And if you go to lifewellchurch.com, you'll see a little, a little uh, button there that says feedback. Click the button and fill out the feedback. But we would love to know how we can pray for you, how we can help you. And if you made a decision to allow Christ to come into your heart today, I would definitely like to know that. Uh, in the future, hopefully the near future, I, I would really love to baptize you. Uh, we baptized three people on July 4th, and I'm looking forward to doing, doing that again soon.